0: you're here. Uh, If you're here for the first time, we want to say welcome, and we'd love to get to know you. And so one way we can get to know you is by having you fill out one of our Connect cards. They're on all of the communion stations around the room, and so you can fill it out, put pen to paper, and then put it in one of the offering boxes that are on the communion stations. Or you can download our app, Restoration Church Wood Forest, go down to the Connect button, and you can connect electronically. That will come directly to us or you can take out your phone right now Uh, Open up your camera, hit that QR code in front of you that says connect, and you can connect with us in that way. Uh, We're trying to make it as easy for you as possible because we want to get to know you. We want to invite you to be a part of our family. There's so many cool things going on at Restoration, and we would love for you to be a part of it. And so, um, man, just give us a little bit of information. We will get information back to you in the form of a newsletter, a phone call, just simply to say, hey, join us. We'd love for you to be a part of what God's doing at Restoration. Um, Guys, if you were a part of the men's advance last weekend, what a great time we had. If you weren't able to be there, one of the things that we are initiating moving into this next season is a men's Bible study, Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. starting March 25th. It will be a six-week series, and so we will go, starting March 25th, we will go through the end of April, six weeks, uh, 33. uh, it's, a, it's a study of authentic manhood. And so you can register to be a part online. You can you can go through our events QR code and register. We've got 55 men signed up so far. We're cutting off at 100. And so that means that there are a little more than 40 spots left, uh, but we're capping it at 100 because we really, uh, it's, it's kind of large group and small group. Uh, and so there will be some small group around tables in the lobby and that's really all the room that we have. And so, I would encourage you to sign up. Uh, If we fill up and you're still wanting in, uh, we'll create a waiting list and and maybe we'll create some more space. But for now, uh, I'm kind of expecting those will be gone by the end of the morning. And so, don't miss the opportunity to sign up. It's gonna be an incredible time. All right, so Revelation chapter 8, we've uh, taken uh, about a three-week hiatus from Revelation. It feels like we haven't been here in a while, and so we're in Revelation 8, and so I just want to real quickly review, for those of you that uh, you haven't been here long, I want to kind of bring you up to speed, but I want to encourage you, if this is new to you, uh, Revelation is like... Uh, Kind of a little bit mind-blowing. Here's what it's not. It's not a cosmic cheat code to the end of the world, okay? So if you're kind of hoping that you're going to get dates and times when it's going to happen so that you can settle in, uh, that's not what it's about. Uh, The book of Revelation is about Jesus. It is about an all-powerful, almighty king that is coming back to take back what is his. That's the book of Revelation in a nutshell. And so we see uh, the apostle John, John, the beloved disciple, the one who wrote the gospel of John. He was one of the twelve that walked with Jesus for three years. Um, he's also the one that wrote the letters 1 John, 2nd John, and 3 John. Uh, and now uh, he is, at this time, it's about 90 AD, most scholars believe. He is imprisoned on the island of Patmos. Uh, so he is living in exile. He's probably the last living apostle. All the rest of them have died horrible martyr's death, and here he is, he's living uh, there, and it says that on the Lord's day, he was in worship. It says that he's worshiping, and as he's worshiping, it says that someone comes to him like the, with a the voice like the sound of a trumpet, and we'll see trumpets today in chapter 8, but what does a trumpet sound like when it comes to you? It's loud, it's jarring. And so uh, I think what he's trying to communicate is when this person came to him, it immediately, he leaned forward and he discovers that it's Jesus. But it's not his buddy Jesus that he hung out with for three years. It's this huge, big, new vision of Jesus who now, you know, uh, you can read the account in chapter one. He is a bigger Jesus and he comes to him and says, hey, I've got some things that I want to say to you, but primarily I'm writing these letters to these seven churches, these seven influential churches. I want you to write it down and get them to them. So right off the bat, we find out that when Jesus wants to get the word out, who does he go to? The local church. The local church is still the hope of the world. You know, it's pretty tarnished, and in today's culture, if you're if you're following Jesus and going to church, you're 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 probably not too invoke, vogue, right? Uh, because the culture would say that the church is archaic, that the church is out of touch, and that's really more about us than it is about Jesus, by the way. All right. Jesus says that the church is the hope of the world in fact he says listen remember Ephesians two I've created you with purpose and when you join me I'm gonna activate your purpose and we're gonna change the world together and so that means that the church us as a conglomerate is, is a representative of a group of people all with our gifts coming together to change the world and so Jesus says listen there are seven churches in the area. I've got some things I want to say to them. And so chapters 2 and 3 are, are these seven letters to seven churches. We tackled them one at a time for seven weeks. And every one of them, you know, there's some commendation for, for most of them. There's some criticism and some challenge about what they need to do to be ready. And for, for all of those, um, we could find ourselves in this story. Right? I mean, we, we've all got these things that... Uh, for a lot of us, we're doing well. For a lot of us, there's a lot to criticize. Let me just speak for myself. For me, there's a lot to criticize, a lot that I need to be challenged on every day to follow Jesus. And so uh, Jesus is laying that out for these churches that were influential in that region, which really represents all of us. And then at the beginning of chapter four, it goes from Jesus walking among the churches to now Jesus is in heaven and he invites John. He says, come up here. Come up here. Immediately, John goes up. He walks through a door. And where is he? He's in the throne room of heaven, y'all. And he gets to the throne of heaven and 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 you can go back and listen to it. It's so powerful that the experience that John has, it's overwhelming. It's colors and 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 rainbows and 24 elders dressed in white with crowns uh, circling the throne and these four living creatures, which gets a little freaky, and then and then uh, it says that they're all that there's angels and they're all singing over and over and over. Do you remember what they're singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Say that with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're saying it over and over and over, and it says that as they're doing that, that the 24 elders fall down and start throwing their crowns at the throne. Meaning what? What? All of my accomplishments, everything that I think is the greatest thing about me, I throw it at your feet, God, because you are better. Whatever you've done in your life, your greatest accomplishment, know this Jesus is better. He's better. You need to hear that and believe that this morning. And really, whether you believe it or not, it's true. And we see in chapter 5, it moves from the Almighty God on the throne that, that remember, now uh, God pulls out this scroll. He's holding it in his right hand. It says there are seven seals. And, and so an angel calls out, oh, we need to break the seals. Who's worthy to break the seals? And they looked around, and nobody was worthy to break the seals. And it says John began to weep. He was distraught. Why? Because dude's in prison. He's like, somebody vindicate me somebody bail me out here nobody's worthy to execute uh, the final judgment uh, we find out that the scroll really is the deed entitled to the earth and God is holding it in his right hand and we'll see throughout the rest of Revelation that he is executing final judgment final salvation and final restoration of the world and so nobody's worthy until the Lion of Judah The Lamb of God, this lion like lamb comes walking into the forefront. It says, A lamb who was slain, yet standing, which means he's not dead, he's alive. And it says, He walks over and He takes the scroll out of God's hand because He is the only one that is worthy to open the scroll break those seals and so then it breaks out in worship there's this three-part movement where, where different sections of heaven are singing and they're all singing a different song but it all works together and it's loud and it's beautiful and it's 24 7 for all of eternity the sound of heaven is the sound of worship and as we were singing this morning that's just a preview of heaven that's a preview of what heaven is going to be like. So if you're bored and, and, you know, when you're like, oh, well, I hang out in the lobby until uh, the preaching starts because the music's too loud. It's like, oh, you're going to hate heaven, right? Are you going to hang outside the gates until they stop singing? Well, they ain't going to stop, so you should get oriented now. We'll turn it up a little louder next week. All right, so, so, uh, so here we see this picture in Revelation 5 and then the beginning of Revelation 6, Jesus starts snapping those seals open. The first four seals, these four horsemen of the apocalypse, we see the white horse of deception, we see the, uh, the red horse of war, we see the black horse of famine, the pale horse of death, and you can read through that, and you can see that, that, that God is beginning to unleash his judgment on the world. And, and this is kind of this slow roll. And then the fifth seal, um, there are these martyrs that are underneath the altar, crying out, saying, God, when are you gonna vindicate us? When are you going to execute final judgment? When are, when, are you, when are we going to be vindicated for living and dying for your sake? and then he says well part of it will happen right now and then there's this there's this earthquake and it says that that stars are falling from the sky and it's just this apocalyptic moment that that things are getting crazy and that the enemies of God are running for the hills they're hiding in the mountains and under rocks saying mountains fall on me I would rather you fall on me and die than have to live under the judgment of the one who sits on the throne and then after the sixth seal There's this pause in chapter 7 that we looked at a few weeks ago. There's 144,000 people that God seals from the tribes of Israel. And and they are completed Jews, uh, Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. And remember, we were like, are they figurative or are they literal? And we decided, well, I think they're literal. It's a pretty specific number. And so we see these... 144,000 that are sealed who will now become witnesses in this evangelistic push toward the end. And and remember, we said that this is a beautiful picture of the mercy of God that in the middle of him pouring out judgment, in the middle of him beginning to uh, bring the world completely to its knees, there's this pause and he seals these who will now go into the world and one last push to bring people into the kingdom. You know what that's called? the mercy of God, that God in his great love, uh, and, and, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, that, that if we don't view God's wrath through the lens of his mercy, we've missed it. If we just see God as this angry, judgmental God, which maybe that's how you see him, if you don't see that throughout the Old Testament, while well, you're like, man, that God seems really angry. Yeah, so angry that he sent prophets over hundreds of years begging his people to repent. And he keeps holding back and holding back saying, please just turn back to me. All I want you to do is turn back to me. Will you turn back to me? And finally he said, okay, sorry, I've, I've, I've had enough. And he sends them into exile. But it was not until after he had exhausted himself, relenting over and over and over. That's the mercy of God. And right here in the middle of his judgment, he pauses. And we see again this picture of God's mercy right in the middle of his judgment. In the last half of chapter 7, we see now this, this army of believers that are now in heaven, and, and they are around the throne, again, worshiping him at the top of their lungs. And so that's where it's going to bring us today. And so as we look at the seventh seal that's open, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see I've got this back scratcher in my car, and uh, here, here's what's cool about it. When I pull it out, it telescopes out, so I can get those really hard-to-reach places, you know, and so I'm driving down the road just kind of, you know, I'm not on my cell phone. I'm just scratching my back, y'all. You know, and so it telescopes out, right? And so I want you to see these judgments as, as this telescope. As we get to the seventh seal, it telescopes out into the seven trumpet Judgments, And then we'll see when we get to the seventh trumpet judgment, it telescopes out into these seven bowl judgments. And so they're all kind of related. If they're not necessarily chronological, we don't know if John's vision is, if he's uh, really giving us a chronological view, or if some of these are happening simultaneously. All we know is that they're happening. And it's a big deal. But what we'll see this morning and, the, and one of the important concepts that I want us to see is how the prayers of the people of God interact with the hand of God. That prayer matters. Prayer matters. Say that with me. Prayer, now say it like you believe it. Prayer matters. Prayer matters. In fact, Oswald Chambers says that prayer does not fit us for the greater work, prayer is the greater work prayer is the greater work and here's the deal if we really believe that why don't we pray more like think about God has given you this tool That's talked about all throughout the Bible. Jesus believed in prayer so much that he spends part of the Sermon on the Mount in in Matthew chapter 6 on it. And and really, Matthew 5-7 through is how to live in the kingdom of God. And it's his sermon saying, if you want to live in power in the kingdom of God, here's how you do it. And in Matthew chapter 6, he said, by the way, here's how you pray. And right before he says, here's how you pray, he says, listen, when you pray, go into your closet and pray in secret. Get into the secret place and communicate with me. He clearly thinks it's important. But one person said this, prayer releases the grip of Satan's power. Prayerlessness increases it. So, a lot of you, and let me just put myself in that category, that if I'm experiencing like what I would call an attack of the enemy or there's something on my life, a thing that I've been trying to get rid of that I keep trying over and over again to free myself of an addiction or an old habit or whatever and maybe you can relate to it. Maybe you've been doing something and you keep going back to the same place over and over again, right? Have you experienced that? You're trying to break a cycle in your life and so, but you live in so much shame on the backside of it. Oh, I'm better than that. Mm. And then you make a vow. I'll never do that again, which is literally daring the enemy to go, really? Okay. And over and over, we're succumbing to the same thing. But here's the thing, if you're not praying, all you're doing is agreeing with the enemy that he can have a grip on your life. Because prayerlessness increases the grip of the enemy. But when we pray, there's a release. Why? Because there's something powerful about prayer. And we're going to see it this morning in this passage. Revelation chapter 8. We'll walk through this chapter today, starting with verse 1. It says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So remember, in chapter 5, we found out that Jesus is the only one worthy to break the seal. So here's what I want to remind you of. Just as this this uh, scroll—it's the deed to earth, right? So Jesus is going to execute final judgment to take back what is His. Know this, every single one of you. There is a scroll written about your life. Ephesians two ten. You've been created with purpose before the foundation of the world. So just kind of figuratively imagine that before the foundation of the world, Creator God is sitting with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and they're like, "Hmm, okay." Thomas man let's let's what do we want Thomas Stebbins to be about and then he begins to write down these characteristics and he's got this units that he writes down on the scroll that's pretty cool when you think about it that way right and then guess what the scroll is closed up and it's sealed and there is only one who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll of your life and it's not you right for for all of us we're trying to discover man what's my purpose in life what was i made for and and what i want to say to you is if you really want to know jesus is the one who activates who breaks the seal and opens the scroll of the purpose he has for your life receiving jesus is it's like popping the cork i've heard right i mean it's that that's that's what it's about it's, it's the life that you've always wanted. It's the life that you've been created for. And the only way to know the life that you were created for is to allow Jesus to break the seal and open the scroll of the life that he's prepared for you. And that's good news. And so here he is, he's, he's, he's at this seventh seal and it says when he opens it, there's silence in heaven for a half hour. Okay, so worship, loud worship, is going on 24 7 in heaven right so imagine going from you know 120 decibels you know some of you have been at the pavilion and you're you know going to see your favorite you know 80s rock band there and you know deaf leopards rocking the house and they finish and then everybody cheers what if everybody cheered and then slowly everybody stops cheering and the band doesn't start playing and then there's just silence what's gonna happen Some idiot's gonna scream out, all right, Death Leopard, right? Why? Because we hate silence. We're scared to death of silence. Let me make it personal. I'm scared to death of silence. I can't be alone, right? I've always got music playing in the background. I sleep with a fan. If the power goes off, my eyes open instantly. Like I have to have noise all the time. I have to have people around me all the time. I just have a hard time being alone. And when I am alone, there always has to be, I have to have, even if I'm not watching the TV, it has to be on in the background because I just, I don't like silence. Are you like that at all? In fact, what if right now I said, okay, we're, we're just gonna, we're gonna go ahead and practice this and for the next 30 minutes, we're just gonna hear sit here completely silent. Uninterrupted silence. <laughs> so you couldn't last 10 seconds. I mean, but the truth of the matter is, it kind of freaks us out, right? I mean, that would be so awkward if I just stood here staring at you, and you're staring at me, and it's just completely silent, and then somebody sneezes, or something else, and, and we don't know how to be silent. And yet, Psalm 46.10, the psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. While silence is awkward for us, it's not awkward for God. And in fact, it's when he speaks the loudest, when we got all the noise out of our lives. And here heaven is completely silent. Why are they silent? Well, it could be, we'll see in chapter 3 and 4, that prayers are going up and they're creating space for God to hear all the prayers of his people. Uh, maybe. I think they're just in awe of what's about to happen. It's the last seal, right? Right. And I'm sure they're like, oh, what's this, what's this seal going to be about? They don't realize that there's seven more trumpets and seven more bowls after that. And so, break the seal. <gasps> and this dramatic pause. It's happened in the Old Testament in Habakkuk 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be what? Silent before him. Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent before him. The sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. Zechariah 2.13 says, be still before the Lord all mankind because he has roused himself in his holy dwelling. This whole idea of just being still and quiet before the Lord. If you wanna hear the voice of God in your life, you gotta be still and you gotta be quiet. Too many of us, man, we we are hitting and running, right? Um, you, you bought into the quiet time, right? Not saying it's a bad thing, but as soon as it becomes regimented and, and you're doing something you know, really quick so that you can run on to the next thing, you've missed it. Sometimes the godliest thing we can do is just sit and be still and be alone with our thoughts and allow God to start informing us. Remember last week we talked about it, that he wants to inform us of spiritual realities and he wants to give us spirit taught words. He wants to inform us of the way things are and give us the ability to speak in every situation. You'll never know that if you're not still before him. And so for 30 minutes, all of heaven is quiet. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. So that's a hint to John, as he's watching this, he's sitting there in silence for thirty minutes, and then he sees the dudes with the trumpets warming up. <laughs> it's about to get loud, y'all, right? And so, imagine verse three it says another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angels' hands. And so, imagine, uh, imagine a priest walking in, carrying one of those lantern-type devices. It's got incense in it. And the smoke of the incense is going up. Can you picture that in your mind? Now imagine that this angel is standing before the throne of God and this incense is coming up. But what is going up with the incense? The prayers of the people of God. The prayers of the people of God. So what prayers? What prayers are going up? Every prayer. Every prayer you've ever prayed, every prayer that you will pray is all, it's going up to God. And so if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I've been praying for something and praying for something and praying for something, and it hasn't happened yet. Don't give up because your prayers are going up to God. God will respond to your prayer. He's given us this beautiful picture of how to pray And he says that it's a sweet aroma as it's going up to God. So think about in Matthew 6 how Jesus taught us to pray. We sang it earlier. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not my will. Your kingdom come, my will be done. you right. We kind of like that, wouldn't we? Hey, God, I want your kingdom to come and make my life better. I want your kingdom to come and accomplish my purposes. Isn't that how we pray? Like, think about the way that you currently pray. You currently have an agenda. You've got things that you want God to do for you. And so you're constantly praying your will that you want God to accomplish. Amen. We should go to God boldly and ask for things. He's a good father. He wants to give us things. But you know what? Here would be another way to pray. What if your number one prayer is asking God what's on his heart? God, how do you want me to pray today? What's on your mind? What do you want me to know about my day today? What is it that you want me to be thinking about? What do you want me to be about? Who is it that you want me to talk to today? What would it be like if your prayer turned more into asking God questions than it was about you asking him for stuff? Asking him to fix your problem. Our prayer goes up and his kingdom comes down. Prayers go up, kingdom comes down. So yesterday we were... uh, We were here at 6.30. Um, We we did an all call for the men of restoration to come and pray. And there were 30 men here. And uh, we prayed from, uh, we prayed and worshiped from 6.30 to a little after 7.30. And uh, there was a friend that came. uh, He was at Men's Advance Advance last week. And uh, when he got the text for uh, prayer to come and pray, uh, he chronicled this on Facebook later in the day, and it was, it was a really moving testimony. But it started with, I got a text from my church to come and pray, and I've been to these men's prayer gatherings before, and really, they're just breakfast. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a chance to get breakfast tacos and to sit around and talk about how horrible our career's going and how we wish our marriage was better. And it turns out to be kind of a, a gripe session. And then there's a token prayer before we leave. And so he said, I walked in and I opened the door and the lobby was dark. And he thought, oh, they must be eating in the worship center. And so he said, that's a little weird, but whatever. And he came in the door and he said, there were about 30 men sitting up front. It was a little bit quiet. There's some music playing. And so he, he came in and sat down and he's like, huh, wonder what this is about. Prayer, You know? And so uh, when we started, we we had a couple of uh, songs that we sang along with on YouTube. And we said, we're just going to worship for a while. And so every Monday, that's what we do as a staff. We've got some YouTube uh, worship, which is incredible. And so we cranked it up. It's loud. And I'm standing kind of behind these guys, just kind of wanted to catch a feel for what's going on in the room. And man, people were singing at the top of their lungs, hands raised. It was really, really powerful. And, and so people were going for it and a couple of songs. And so then I came up and I said, okay, we're going to pray. Um, and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to bow your head and I want you to um, ask God what's on his heart today. What's on his heart? Well, as he's telling this story on um, Facebook, he said, I was so taken back by that because I'm just like, I don't ever pray like that i've got things that i want to accomplish and so for me to pray god what's on your heart just felt really weird and so he said i started asking god what's on your heart and all of a sudden he just tears up and he said i just saw my face and i was like what he said no god asked what's on your heart and he said god said back to me you're on my heart you're on my heart And he was so pleased that he was here at 6.30 in the morning, you know, and hey, you're here. And, and, and so over the next few minutes, as, as people were just quiet, I said, okay, begin to pray. What God's heart is. What is God placed on your heart to pray for? And so, all over the room, there are men praying for different things praying for families, praying for, for uh, relationships with their kids. And it was just this beautiful thing that we started with asking God what was on His heart, and He set the agenda for our prayer time. And it was so, so cool to see what God was doing. So, I left this prayer meeting and I I was pretty filled up it was awesome and uh, uh, a guy called me on Thursday who had some questions about what it meant to follow God he didn't really understand I don't understand what it means and I had a feeling when I talked to him on the phone I just said hey why don't you come see me on Saturday and I just had a feeling that he was going to walk into the kingdom and we walked into my office we sat down and within uh, less than 10 minutes You could just feel the spirit in the room. He's crying and saying, that's what I want. And and I had the opportunity to walk him into the kingdom. But here's what I know. That was not me. There's been a lot of people that have been praying for him for a long time. It's the prayers that are going up. And in that moment, the kingdom came down. And so here's the thought. All of these prayers are going up to God. Some of them are selfless prayers. Some of them are probably selfish prayers. But they're all going up to God. And it's this beautiful, sweet aroma. Because God is looking and going, man, my people are praying. It's so, so good. One man put it this way. He says, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. It's not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying hold of God's willingness. God's not reluctant to speak to you. He's not reluctant to bless you. But it all starts with being someone who is willing to interrupt your life, get at his feet, be still and ask him questions. Psalm 27 says, I want to gaze at the beauty of God and inquire of him in his temple. I want to gaze on God's beauty and ask him questions. That's prayer. Okay, so look what happens as a result. This is what happens next. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So, the prayers of the people of God go up, and the next thing that happens is an angel takes that sensor and fastballs it to the earth, and it says the whole earth begins to shake. What does that tell you and me? Our prayers are powerful, that God receives all of those prayers, and he says, go, and the earth shakes. James 5.16, the prayer of the righteous man is powerful and effective. So some of us go, oh, that clause, prayer of a righteous man, right? That's not me. Well, who told you that? In Jesus, you've been made righteous. So if you are living below the righteousness of God as a follower of Jesus, that's on you. Because you've been made righteous because of Jesus not your goodness but the goodness of Jesus in you and it says the prayers of the righteous of the chosen by God is powerful in fact you know what your prayers do they shake the earth when's the last time you experienced an earth shaking as a result of your prayer see the biggest indictment on the church it's not that we're not experiencing earth-shaking prayer. It's that we're not praying. If you're being honest, when's the last time you prayed beyond this quick, you know, 30-second prayer after you read your 30-second devotion and you spent a total of, you know, 60 to 90 seconds with God saying, you know, bless my day and you're out. What would it be like? to say, God, I want to see the earth shake. So show me what's on your heart. Show me how to pray, because I want to experience that earth-shaking prayer. I want to experience Acts chapter 4. Remember, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they heal this beggar by the gates in Jerusalem when they're just going along on their way to the temple to worship. And they, they heal him, and he's up running around. Look, I can walk. And, and, and the religious people get mad, and they bring uh, Peter and John before the court. They beat them, and they say, stop talking about Jesus. And what do they say? Do whatever you want to me. I'm not going to stop talking about what I've seen and heard. A little bold. So they beat him a little more. They release them. And they go back to their people who were praying for them. They knock on the door. And the people open the door. And they're shocked that it's Peter and John. So they're praying for them. But they're shocked when God answers. And so they show up. And they start praying. And, and here's what they prayed. God um, now that we're safe, please protect us so that that never happens again. Is that what they prayed? No. All of this, I pray for a hedge of protection. I mean, we're praying for protection all the time because we're living in so much fear, right? Protect us, protect us, protect us. You know what they were praying? Make us more bold. They said, consider their threats and make us more bold. What would it be like to pray with that kind of boldness? I've just been beaten within an inch of my life. God, make me more bold. Don't let me shrink back. I want to change the world. And as they were praying that prayer, what happened? The earth shook, literally. Do you want to see the earth shake? Start praying bold prayers. Start believing in a big God. And it says here in Revelation chapter 8 that the prayers went up, and the kingdom came down, and it shook the earth. Woo! That's what I want in my life. I want a lot of earth-shaking experiences. Don't you? I mean, come on, if you're being honest, isn't that what you want in this thing that you call Christianity? Wouldn't you love to think that it's more than just showing up for church a couple of times a month so you can check the box? What if it were a Monday through Sunday experience that every day you were in the secret place and not only is he transforming you, but he's giving you new wine and new power. And you're in such close communication with Him that it's not just a quick prayer to begin your day, that you're in such communion with Him that it'll last all day long and you're in this conversation with Him. And He's opening your eyes to, hey, pray with this guy right now. Hey, uh, you, should, you should go over and talk to this person right now. I, I was telling somebody recently that, um, you know, uh, when, when we're praying in a group, I'm always praying with my eyes open because I'm always looking to see what's going on in the room. What do you think the number one thing that we can pay attention to when we're praying in a room? What's the number one sign that somebody's got something going on? Tears. When people are crying, when we're praying and people are crying, that's a great sign that, hey, I should probably press into that. Not, uh, they're probably upset, I don't want to bother. No, the spirits at work there, and that's an opportunity to go hey, what's going on? I was in a prayer group with a group of pastors a couple of weeks ago, and we have been worshiping, and somebody was praying, and and the dude next to me, right as he was saying amen, put his head in his hands and was just sobbing. And the guy leading the group was moving on, like to the next order of business, and I said, "Whoa, whoa. And we were able to pause and pray over him. It's a powerful moment. There's so much, so much that God's wanting to do as we pray. And as we pray with our eyes wide open, saying, God, show me what you're doing. Show me where I can be a part of what you're doing in the world. What would that be like? Power, y'all. Power, power, power. Let me say it one more time. Power. Okay. Verse five, the angel took, oh, no, I'm sorry. Verse six, then the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared to sound them. Okay, so now you get these seven angels standing at attention, ready to blare. Can you imagine what that first trumpet sounded like after 30 minutes of silence? <laughs> deafening, deafening. Verse seven, first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down to the earth a third of the earth was burned up a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up so um it it, it says that hail now if you grew up and you heard has anybody ever heard the phrase he was preaching hell fire and brimstone It's actually hail fire in Princeton, all right? So, so it's this whole idea that, man, hail is coming down from the heavens, and it says that that, uh, it looks like blood mixed with fire is coming on the earth, and it says, what? A third of the trees are scorched, that all the grass is gone. And so, what is the significance of one-third? What's the significance of one-third of the earth? Well, we don't know, other than the fact that this is not complete and final. Which means what? It's God's mercy. It's God's mercy. Again, while he is executing this judgment and he's in the process of finally judging the world, only a third of this stuff burns up. Third is mentioned 13 times in Revelation 8. A third of the earth does this. A third of the earth does that. A third, a third, a third. But what that means, so if you're a pessimist, you're like, oh my gosh, the end is coming. If you're, a, if you're an optimist, you're like, hey, two-thirds is left, <laughs> right? That means he's not done yet. And then the question is, "And I in the one-third or the two-third? I'm not sure. <laughs> if you're still left, <laughs> you need to make a decision quickly, all right? So, so here we are. Man, this is a picture of the mercy of God. He's not done. He's still holding back. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there's still an opportunity to turn to God. That's His mercy. By the way, that's for you. As long as there's breath in your lungs, there's still time. Verse 8. The second angel Sounded his trumpet. Something like a huge mountain was ablaze and thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. So what we see is there's a lot of allusion back to the plagues in Egypt when the Israelites were enslaved. And so uh, this is allusion to the first Egyptian plague when the uh, water was turned into blood. And so what's the significance of that? Here's the significance of it. The same God that rescued the the children of Israel is the same God that is executing final judgment over here and everything in between. And so I love that uh, we've seen it throughout the book of Revelation that we can see the old and we can see the fruition of it over here and everything in between on this timeline is God is still God and he's still moving and there's a familiarity about it. So remember, the original readers, the original hearers would go, oh, that's like our ancestors when that happened. That makes sense to me. And again, a third of the sea creatures die. What is that? Part but not whole. Verse 10, third angel sounded like, sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on springs of water, the name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter. Many people died from the waters that had become bitter. So again, this whole idea, I don't know what that is that falls from the sky. It sounds like a comet, but it says it's called Wormwood. So a bitter substance hits the water supply and makes it undrinkable. And here's what's interesting. Again, it's kind of an allusion to that first plague where the water was undrinkable. But here's what's interesting it's a reversal of what happens in Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, he took undrinkable water and made it drinkable. And now he's taking drinkable water and making it undrinkable. He's providing for his children, and now he is killing off his enemies. Verse 12. Fourth angel sounded his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was with light, without light, and also a third of the night. He blots out the light. So it's interesting that he says, you know, a third of the day was dark, but then he says a third of the night was dark. What do we know about night? It's dark. And now it's not just dark, it's really dark. It's pitch black. Two thoughts. Number one, that's the ninth plague in Egypt when it turned black. So again, taking the old, bringing it to fruition in the new. But, but here's what I thought. Jesus calls himself in John eight twelve the light of the world. There is a dark dark world without Jesus. Without Jesus the world is a dark place and you know that. You know that if you were following Jesus now you know what it was like before you were following Jesus. You were living in darkness. And Jesus is like he's a flashlight. He shines the light on the truth and he leads you into that truth. No more darkness. And then verse 13 as I watched, I heard an eagle. Other versions say an angel that was flying in midair, calling out in a loud voice, "Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels." So, they're in the middle of this, some creature comes flying out and says, "Hey, he's not done yet." He's only getting started. Think about that. Think about when you're in the middle of your darkest moment and then you realize, oh, it's not over yet. This pause in the eye of the hurricane, but the rest of the hurricane's coming and it's going to wreak more havoc. And he's really saying here, you know, a third of all these things were destroyed and this, this angelic being comes out and says, hey, by the way, he's not done yet. He's got another two-thirds to go. Why? Because Jesus executes final judgment, final salvation, and final restoration. That's what he does. So what do we learn from the passage today? There are three things that I want you to think about. Number one, prayer matters. Say that with me. Prayer matters. Are you convinced? Are you convinced that prayer matters? Man, it matters to God, and if it matters to God, if it matters to Jesus, it should matter to you. I was asked a question recently, a couple of different times. Does does prayer change God's mind, or does prayer move God's hand? And my response to that was, I have no idea. I have no idea. But I know that God tells us to pray. But here's, here's what I've come to discover. And, you know, about 10 years ago, my life fell apart. And I'm not gonna say I wasn't a believer before then, but I had so much compromise in my life. And I, I submitted my life to Jesus, and something shifted in me, and it shifted the way that I prayed, because the more I got to know Jesus, and still today, the more I get to know Jesus, the more that I uh, start thinking like Him, the more that my heart... Is more like him which means that I pray more in alignment with his will so the more time that I spend with him the more I understand him and I understand his heart so when I go to prayer I'm praying the heart of Jesus that's the goal anyway Not perfect but here's what I know prayer matters God loves it when we pray here's why he loves it when we pray Because what it's showing him is that I'm moving from independence to dependence. I'm moving from belief in myself to belief in him. And the more that I'm spending time every day sitting at His feet and asking Him questions, He is shaping me from the inside out. He is using prayer to shape me. And what happens is when I'm praying according to His will and I'm I'm asking Him for what on what's on His heart, you know what? He's, he I see more prayers answered. Does it mean that He's not going to answer your selfish prayer? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is he desires that we be aligned with him because when we're aligned with him and we're praying his heart, uh, first of all, it's just a better way to live. I'm a lot more at peace. But second of all, I start seeing extraordinary God activity around me all the time. I start seeing opportunities popping up out of the woodwork because I'm living a life less about me and I'm more likely to see that that cashier that I come across at Harvest Market is having a tough day. And instead of being frustrated that the line's sold, long when it gets when I get to her I'm able to speak life into her and I think about when I'm at Harvest Market Cafe who's got some issues right now right they're still trying to figure it out and instead of going on the Wood Forest Neighbors page and blasting them because they got my salad wrong yeah that happens Um, I can actually be patient and I can encourage them I can say you know what don't worry about it It's, it's all good I mean, I'm allergic to shrimp, it'll probably kill me, but it's not a big deal. <laughs> the more that I'm in the presence of Jesus, what I find is it matters. Because prayer's not about me, it's about God using prayer to change me, to change my heart and align it with His. Number two, prayer moves God to judge and vindicate his people. Here's the thing man, God has always been about vindicating his people so if you're waiting for that vindication keep waiting because you will be vindicated at some point. This says it right? There's a day when all wrongs will be made right but you've got to be patient and not take matters into your own hands he loves it when we are in line with who he is and we allow him to be the judge, we allow him to be the vindicator. we practice Exodus 14, 14, when we say, hey, let's just stand back and see what God's gonna do and watch him part the Red Sea right in front of us. He will vindicate you in his timing. In his timing, he makes all things right. Number three, God's mercy is always on full display. So here's the beautiful thing. Like, you know, if this is the Super Bowl, he's already given you the playbook in advance. In fact, in fact he's given the opponent his playbook, right? I mean, it's no secret what God's gonna do. It's right here. And so his mercy is on full display because he's saying to you, hey, listen, you have rejected me over and over and over again. You're really religious, you show up, but if you're being honest, you have zero interest in this whole thing. And he's like, I'm telling you what the end is gonna look like way in advance. That's God's mercy on display. If we are going into spiritual battle, He's given the playbook in advance. We win. God's mercy is always fully on display. And know that because you're living and breathing, He has withheld final judgment on you. If you wanna see God's mercy, all you have to do is look to Jesus. That Jesus... Being fully God. Took on the form of a man and lived and died for you and for me. Took all my sin, all of my shortcomings, all of my willful independence. He took it on the cross. That's God's mercy. Because guess what? I didn't have it in me. I was never gonna be good enough. And guess what? You either. None of us. None of us are good enough. And that's why we need God's mercy. And God's mercy is on your best day when you didn't have what it took, He took care of it for you through Jesus. God's mercy is always on full display. And even we see as He's executing His wrath and His judgment, we've got to view His judgment through the lens of mercy. He keeps holding back just a little bit more, just a little more time, just a little more time. He's doing that for you. He's holding back the winds. He's holding back the waters because He desperately wants you to come. Maybe today's that day for you. Maybe you can have an earth-shaking moment today. Let's pray.